Hey Fellowship Mosaic, earlier in the month I got to tell you about my friend Zakayo and how Fellowship was able to bless he and his family through the offering of the gift last year. And I just want to remind you before the month is over that we have this opportunity to be generous above and beyond our normal giving to give to this thing called the gift where our elders take these collections and pray over different opportunities uh, to bless people, to represent Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world through your generosity. So if you want to participate, go to www.fellowshipmosaic.org slash the gift and participate in this generous offering that we get to be a part of. Merry Christmas, Mosaic. Hi, everybody. Merry Christmas. Hey, let's stand and sing. I find my joy in the Lord. Y'all look like statues. Um, and I get that Northwest Arkansas is a little pretentious. We think we're not a part of the rest of Arkansas. Um, it's kind of special. Every time I ever go outside of Northwest Arkansas with other people from Northwest Arkansas, they always say, I'm from Arkansas, but Northwest Arkansas is different. It's not what you think. Um, it's a little bit of what you think. So I grew up in central Arkansas, and the way we do songs like this is, I grew up, you got to talk a little more like this if you're going to do it. Um, we used to play music around Christmas time all around the living room, and, uh, and we'd start playing and singing, and sometimes people would start dancing, and you would drum on anything in sight. And so if you're unfamiliar with this kind of song, it requires moving a little bit. Have y'all heard this song before? Do y'all remember this? Yeah, Ethan Davis wrote this when he was a resident here at Mosaic years ago. So I just want to invite you to tap into your inner Arkansan, and let's try it again. Okay, band, let's try again. Find my joy.
guys can take a seat. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Nick. It's your turn to talk now. Thank you. Welcome, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. I personally am so glad that you are here. And all of us as a staff would really like to know if this is your first time hanging out with us. So after service, please feel free to go to the info booth. We have some really friendly faces there that would love to just know that you are here. My name is Melanie Manning. I am Fellowship Mosaic's admin, and I'm just here to tell you about a couple of resources we have and some announcements before we get back to the worship. So my first one is Fellowship makes some really amazing resources. And I want you to know what they are so you can utilize them. We have family advent books. They are for free in the foyer. So if you have a family, um, please pick them up. It's a great way to continue just like really being in the season and knowing how important this time of year is and how to do that well with your kids. We have Advent devotionals daily that you can find online. You can sign up through email. You can get them delivered straight to you. It's so convenient. And they are truly phenomenal. Our staff has worked really hard on them, and they are just so great. Little nuggets of wisdom to have every day. And then our fellowship worship team has Christmas albums, and they're fantastic. So just know you can get those online at like any streaming service, but also on our app, which is awesome. And then my next announcement is about Christmas Eve services, which is so exciting, and I can't believe that it's just around the corner. Rogers Campus has five Christmas Eve services. We have three in the morning for our family times, which means it's just directed more towards kids. And then we have two traditional ones in the evening. But no matter what service time you go to, there are no children classes available. So even if you're in the family service ones or the traditional service ones, you will be worshiping with all ages, which is a delight and a joy to be able to do. So if you need any of those times again, because of course, as soon as they're off the screen, you'll forget the times, uh, you can go online to fellowshipmosaic.org slash advent, and you'll see all the previous resources I talked about, all of our times for Rogers Campus and Bentonville Campus and Fayetteville Campus, if you want to check any of those out for Christmas Eve. My next announcement is just a reminder for middle school parents. Our spring break registration closes December 30th, so at the very end of the month, and this spring break trip is phenomenal. I've had the privilege of leading it the past two years, and it is just a great experience for these middle schools to be able to go and serve the community. So please encourage them to sign up. And then the last one, before we get back to jamming and singing some really awesome Christmas songs, we saw the video at the beginning of the service, which is a gift, which is just how fellowship really encourages extra generosity during this time. So just a reminder that your last chance to contribute to that is December 31st. So thanks for listening to all the announcements. I'm going to kick it back to Nick as we continue singing. Yeah, y'all can clap for Melanie. That's great. She's pretty great. She's great. Hey, one of the things that I think is, is fun and also a little disorienting about Christmas is suddenly in places that you would not expect to hear about Jesus at all, his name is suddenly everywhere. Like you have the most famous pop artists are singing about the birth of Jesus. And I've often wondered, do they have any clue what they're singing? And then I'll start singing a Christmas carol and go, I'll look at the words and go, goodness, I don't know what I'm singing. Like these are songs that, that I've been singing my whole life. And I've gotten used to just like rolling through these lyrics that are oftentimes a little awkward and unlike how we would normally phrase things. And so I want to encourage us as, as we continue to sing, uh, to lean in and notice these words. We're going to sing the first Noel. And that 
word Noel, it means the announcement that Christ is born. And so when we sing about the first Noel, it's a song about the first time that somebody said, Merry Christmas, Jesus is born. And that first announcement was actually angels speaking to shepherds. And that's one of the fun things about these songs, especially these older hymns, is they tend to be storytelling. They tell the story and they walk through what happened and we get to sing just like recently we were around the living room and we told the story of when Karis was born and it was fun and it was sweet and we got to talk about that. This is us telling the story of the birth of our King. So I wanna invite you, stand with us and, uh, and sing the first Noel, the story of the shepherds being told that Jesus was here. Just
joy of Emmanuel. Merry Christmas, Mosaic. We're the Spicers. I'm Will. This is Angela. Uh, that's Sophia. Abby serving somewhere in middle school, and we're really glad to be here with you tonight. We're in the uh, small group with the Rollins, the Willises, the Rippies, and the Younger Tumors, who are very, very cool people. Uh, Angela serves sometimes with children and with women, and I serve sometimes with the middle school, the worship team, and the prayer team, and stuff like that. We're going to read the word of the Lord tonight. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks, Spicers. Where do you... We'll try that again. Where do you feel alone? Where do you feel like you just wish God would finally show up? Is it in a strained friendship? Is it at work? Is it in your physical body? Something there that you just wish God would show up and touch it and change it? Is it in your family with your relatives or with your kids or with a spouse? Do you find yourself asking, where is God in this? Whatever that may be. Well, we're in the Advent season. We're in the midst of this time where we are waiting and anticipating. We're coming back to a promise that's held in a name. That God truly is with us. He is Emmanuel. Is that a felt reality for you tonight? Or is it more of a a distant hope? A promise that you long to see fulfilled? If we've not met yet, I'm Nate Soul. I work with the kids team here. There's a lot of them spread around campus, so I'm glad they're here. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad we get to do this together tonight. You'll often hear in a teaching on joy comparisons between joy and happiness, that, that happiness waxes and wanes back and forth with the situation. It would be rare to see someone happy at a funeral, but... Joy instead is what one Bible dictionary describes as more a state of being than an emotion. It's a result of choice. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, the the outworking of God's presence in your life. So while I would be surprised to see a happy person at a funeral, I expect to find a sad person at a funeral that somehow also is exuding joy. Now, my assigned passage for the night was the passage we just heard the, uh, the Spicers read there. Um, but in composing the message, I wrestled against an impulse. Just how far back do I get to go? Uh, how much do I say? Like just in the first two verses of this passage, it's so many names and places. Elizabeth, God, Angel Gabriel, Nazareth, Galilee, Joseph, David, Mary, throw in a keyword like virgin, that, I mean, so many threads that we could slow down and tug on to figure out what really is going on here. Now, my impulse to tell all of the many stories within this story is best summed up, I think, by a Carl Sagan quote that came onto my radar from this like educational matchup song that I just love for some reason, and I listen to so many times that this lyric just comes up again and again in my head, but it's this. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch... You must first invent the universe, right? There's always like a a step before the step before the step. Like, did you grow the flower? Well, did you harvest the flower first? I mean, you're going all the way back to the invention of the universe, right? There's always a step before the step. Now, I want to tell the apple pie story of the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary. But I also feel this impulse to take it all the way back to the invention of the universe, Obviously, there's not time to tell the whole history of existence, 
but we're going to do it in four stories tonight, okay? Four kind of cliff note moments for the whole story of the Bible. And I want to just get our heads spinning around joy. So those four stories, the first is the fall, then the incarnation or the, or the birth. Um, that's the passage we read, and that's what we'll spend the most time in. Uh, third is the death and resurrection, and the fourth will be the return and the end. Um, so we are asking over and over, where is God with us? And it's going to feel like a roller coaster, okay? We're going we're to have some high points from time to time, just for a moment. And then there's going to be a hard drop, and you're going to feel your stomach in your throat, and you're going to wonder what in the world is going on. Is this really hopeful? And yet, somehow in that space, there's still a thread of joy. Just a deep, man, God is in this space and in this place. And in life now, there's obvious joy in the heights and often unexpected joy in the drops and in the valleys. There's joy at God with us in bleak places. Joy when hopefulness falls apart again. Joy when the waiting just drags on and on. And joy when everything is as it should be. So story one, the fall. We start at creation with the triune God creating and crafting the image bearer. And as man and woman walk in the garden, so too does God. And they truly experience God with us. He's Emmanuel there with them. When I, just a, a moment of interest, a sparked thought. If God is with us, how interesting that God created mankind in his own image, that he would make each and every person bear his image, that very literally to your left and right tonight, there's some aspect tangible of God with us in the people that you see to your left and to your right. There's something there that's so so hopeful to me. So you know the story, though. To this first image bearer, he gives but one rule, one tree whose fruit was not for humanity's consumption. And that rule had an accompanying a promise. It's in Genesis 2 that God promises, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But they don't obey. And instead, from that very tree, uh, verse chapter 3 there, it says that she took some and ate it, and he ate it. Both man and woman in this first act of sin and rebellion. And then exposed by sin, he says to God, He heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God. Since the fall, let me me just visit this quote that Adam says here too. I heard you, and I was afraid, so I hid. Since the fall, there's something going on here that when we are found to be in the presence of God, that that somehow our sin acts as this barrier that that makes God with us no longer solely a comfort. But there's something almost tinged with a threat. Like like you kind of want to ask, do we really want God right here with me? The the response that we see time and again is people just kind of falling down on their faces like in terror when when an angel or when God makes himself present in front of people. And and there's something there. 
And as a total aside, I just want to say that I'm really excited. When we get into January, we're going to start a series that Celebrate Recovery is going to help us kind of run through for three weeks. And the reason that I'm excited in this context here is that it's a series on the cycle that our hurts and our hangups and our habits perpetuate in our lives. And how that cycle breaks when we can acknowledge our own brokenness and come out of hiding. So I'm very excited about that time. We'll we'll get together in January and work through that together. But God responds to the man and the woman. They hid, but he, he draws them out and he addresses them and the snake who deceived them. So to Satan, the father of lies, he says this, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's this first glimpse, just moments after the fall of the promise that God, through some future child, would crush the serpent, the crafty deceiver. It's what theologians call the proto-evangelium, which just is a big word that means the first gospel, the very first good news. It's the first promise of God with us. Wait for it. Expect it's coming. So on to story two. The incarnation. This is where we make the largest jump of the night. You see, we're skipping over the remaining story of humanity from Genesis 3, the rest of the Old Testament. And there's a bunch there. But if I can very, very, very poorly summarize it, it's just a long period of waiting for the the promise of the garden to finally be fulfilled. We're going to get more promises. We're going to get lots of ups and downs. But we're going to jump over all of that and get straight into the New Testament to Mary. And we're going to get into our primary text of the evening. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This pregnancy is the miracle that opens Luke's gospel and immediately precedes this Mary and Gabriel encounter that we're studying. And here we are, six months in. This formerly barren woman, Elizabeth, is now carrying the child who would be called John the Baptist. He's the one that the scriptures promised would prepare the way for the coming Christ. God had sent the angel Gabriel half a year ago to Zechariah to tell him Elizabeth would become pregnant. And now God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Such a little lump of a place that one of his future disciples, when hearing that the Messiah or the Christ had had arrived and was coming from Nazareth, asked in John 1, can anything good Come from there? So the angel is sent to a virgin. And this is the assumed description of any unwed man or woman in ancient Israel. If you're not married, you are a virgin. And when you get married, you're going to consummate that marriage. It's It's the understood description of every person. But this virgin is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And as Nick said last week, that pledge carries more weight than it would in our day and age because it's a pledge that would require divorce to break it. Now, this Joseph is a descendant of David. Joseph is of the line of the one true and great king of Israel's history, David the beloved and man after God's heart. And finally, we get to the virgin's name was Mary. There's so much set up, so many names and places and qualifiers to get to Mary. Warren Wearsby says this of Mary. 
He said, people tend to go to one of two extremes. They either magnify her so much that Jesus takes second place, or they ignore her and fail to give her the esteem she deserves. Elizabeth, a little later in this uh, chapter one passage, filled with the spirit, called her the mother of my Lord. And that is reason enough to honor her. The passage continues. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored. This is literally greatly graced. Literally greatly graced. The Lord is with you. What a, what a strange and just extraordinary greeting. To be a nobody from nowhere and to suddenly be greeted by an angel. It's just spectacular. What in the world? And then for the angel to call this nobody from nowhere highly favored and to say, the Lord is with you. It's no wonder then that she it says that she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Another kind and overwhelming affirmation. And yet she could not possibly anticipate his next words. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Greatly troubled. Wouldn't you be too? Absolutely. It feels too good to even make sense of. Sustained through the, the slavery in Egypt and the deliverance of the Exodus and through the generations of waiting and through the rise and fall of the entire nation of Israel. That promise from the garden is finally being brought to fruition. The long-awaited Messiah is here. And who is this Mary to be any part of it? It begs a question in my own heart. Do I think either too highly of myself and expect God to need me? I, beg, I pray not. Or too lowly and think him incapable of finding me to be of any use? Mary here seems to find the middle road of faith between the two. And I feel humbled to want to walk that road as well. So the promise from the garden will be fulfilled, as will all the promises since then. And she will be a part of it. So she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? And it's such an earnest question. When in the history of the world has a baby ever been made without procreation? What in the world is this? But the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will, will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This isn't the profane story of the Greeks, of, of their gods sleeping with humans and, and making demigods. The Bible doesn't speak of the Holy Spirit fornicating with Mary. No, this is the miracle of the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son. Now, there's a great song on this uh, Sovereign Grace Kids album. The album's called The 
Ology, which I this thing is hilarious for a kid's album. Anyway, um, and the song is called Totally God, Totally Man. And they take this lofty concept, like the hypostatic union. This is God is totally God, totally man, same time. What do we do with that paradox? And they handle it like this. They say, his word, Jesus, his word upholds the galaxies, but he babbled like a baby in his mother's arms. Jesus understands the universe, but he had to go to school to learn how to write his name. Just love that. Kids' music and kids' Bibles, if you're not a parent or in that stage, don't miss out on it. They're worth picking up and listening to. You're not too cool for it, I promise. There's some really profound things happening in that sphere of things. Anyway, on with the evening. Uh, so the passage continues. So the Holy One will be born, or the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What is the message now? That the Lord is with you. And soon, Mary, the Lord will be in your very womb. He'll be bringing him into the world. Miraculous. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Do you believe that? Numbers 23 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Sometimes when the the answer to the promise is long awaited, when he tarries a little longer in answering, a promise like no word from God will ever fail is what I need to be able to hang my hat of faith on just a little bit longer. I'm the Lord's servant, is how she replies in in the midst of all of this. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So if we go back to the roller coaster, there's an upturn at the promise of the birth of Christ. And then for Mary, at least, there's this rough nine months of pregnancy for this unwed woman. And then there's another upturn in Bethlehem at his birth. God is with us in one of the clearest senses, the the incarnation and the birth of Christ, the Emmanuel, literally God with us. But the first few years after this, think about it. They they have to flee down to Egypt to escape murderous wrath. There's the the murder of all the, the young boys of Bethlehem. If there is joy, it's not the showy happiness of a birthday celebration, but it's the the deep and abiding joy of the Lord that persists through every height and depth. And let me spur us on that neither height nor depth will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. On to story three, the death and the resurrection. We jump over the entire life of Christ, again, a huge jump, and we go to his crucifixion, the place of his death, And it's there on the cross where Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And if that coaster is in your mind right now, it is at the lowest spot of all. It's dropped off the screen entirely probably. The the snake appears to have won. The heel of the Christ is struck. The Christ is dead. He's buried in a tomb. And now again, the question Where is God with us? Where is he? And it's in that low place, that valley of the shadow of death, 
that the women approached the tomb, finding the stone already rolled away and, and the body of the Lord missing. And it's there that we have another angel encounter. Jumping to Luke 24, it says, while the women were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. There is hope and peace and joy and love in the resurrection. There's such a deep joy that the tomb is empty, is there not? He's risen, he lives, and he's the one we now race toward. For as Hebrews 12 says, we are now fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. It's, it's certainly joy at the opportunity to sit again at the right hand of the Father. I wondered though, is it also joy at the opportunity to just scorn the shame of death? You have no power. How, oh, how joyful is that? Is it also joy at the selfless and overwhelming love he'll demonstrate at the cross. It's a joy that sustains him through the depths until the heights that come for him after the resurrection. The roller coaster again, he's, he's resurrected and ascended and he's promised he's coming back. But man, he's not back yet. And between that future day and where we find ourselves now, each day just carries troubles, sometimes too many troubles it feels like. Just after his ascension, it's, it's the early persecution of the church. And then it's, it's this 2,000 years of the ebbing and flowing of the church. Sometimes, sometimes ascending into heights that, we're, that it's growing and it's spreading and, and it's legitimately changing the world. And sometimes we just bung it up and we turn away and it's idolatry and it's sin. And we're, we're, we're dipping off somewhere else. So since his ascension, we've been waiting and we're still waiting. We're all in this current stage where he's said he's coming back, but he's not come back. And we're all wanting him to. So we wait and anticipate. And we wait as, as time-trapped people. People for whom the only way forward is through death. Death is the path to eternity from time. It's another metal band, sorry. Um, just how I'm bent. But right now, the only way we break out of time and into eternity and into God's eternal presence is, is through death. Death is the path now, but it won't always be. And we're waiting for the day. We're waiting for the day. Because story four is the return, and it's the end. First Corinthians promises that the last enemy to be destroyed is death, and it will be destroyed. He came once as an infant at the incarnation, and he's coming again, but this time as the, the rider on the white horse from Revelation 19, that he's ready to put death to death and to end time so that we too 
spill out into eternity with him forever. Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The joy of that future day when he comes riding back in. It's, it's the, the goosebumps you feel in every powerful movie when, when the whole plot turns, when it's looking bad and it turns. It's, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it's, it's, it's Gandalf on the hill over Helm's Deep and he's there and you're like, oh, it's good. the whole thing is turning around. This is awesome. Or it's like in the Avengers movie when that, all the brass come in. It's like, it's just like that moment. And the reason that those moments are so powerful is that they're pointing to the one true and powerful and, and perfect story. It's the all-encompassing story. It's our Christ mounted on a white steed, riding in to end death and welcome the end of time and the new heavens and new earth will live in forever. It's the, it's the return to the freedom of the garden where we won't hide in our sin anymore away from him. We don't have to. We're cleaned and forgiven so that we too live side by side with him where the home of God is with man, where God himself will be our light, God with us. So John, again, ending his revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for our bridegroom, Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Oh, what joy we have for that day. We long for that awaited coming day. So I want to give you 30 seconds of just quiet to reflect on that space. God, come back. We're waiting for you. We're excited about it. So just 30 seconds. So we end tonight together, remembering the whole story. 
that as we long for the end of death, as we await his coming again, we gather and remember one death that changed everything. I'm inviting those serving. My my community group is serving communion tonight, so y'all come on up and and come to the tables. Uh, The rest of you, just in a moment, I'll invite the rest of you up. Um, You're gonna exit to the left of your row and... Yes, left, I had to turn around there, sorry. Left, and you'll return to the right. And if you're unable, I got a tray, and I'll come out to you and and serve you. I would love to do that. Um, Communion is just this celebration for people who are among the waiting, those living day by day on the roller coaster of life, seeking his joy in the heights and in the depths. It's for those who are longing for Jesus to return. So if you don't know him, if you're not a follower of him, if you, haven't been, if you haven't invited him to be your joy in the heights and the depths, you can sit it out, that's fine. If, you're, if you wanna talk about it, I'll be moving around, just flag me down. I'd love to sit with you and talk about what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like to walk after him. Um, maybe you'll wanna take your first communion tonight. That'd be an honor to get to do that with you. Uh, but for those who are able, um, we'll hold the elements and take them together, but I invite you now to come forward and receive them. The tables are open. I first heard this song they're about to sing um, uh, it, it it totally grabbed my attention and pulled me in a surprising way because the the songwriter did something um, I think gutsy 
and honest that took me by surprise. Um, she, took, she took an old kid's song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart today, and I'm so happy. And, uh, and she put it in this really dark minor key that sounds just like the world is ending in sadness. And when I first heard it, I was like, what is she doing? This is so weird. And then the, the bridge builds and, uh, and she just starts screaming. I don't understand and I can't pretend this will be all right in the end. So I'll try my best to lift up my chest and sing about this joy. And I realized she was capturing a moment that I've, I've felt a lot where I have this idea that following Jesus must mean rejoicing, right? Like we saw that in Philippians. He says, rejoice, rejoice. And so I think that means no matter how hard things are, I bury my head in the sand and just say, I'm happy. I love Jesus, so I'm happy. And, uh, and through the course of the song, you can hear the wrestling, trying to do this clench fist, clench teeth, fake it till you make it, attempt at joy. And as the tension of that forced approach builds, the song builds until finally there's a release that chooses to trust God and to accept the roller coaster, that there's sadness and there's incredible joy. And that because Jesus stepped into our sadness, we can experience both. So hold on to the elements and I encourage you just to, just to listen. And, uh, and ask the Lord, where has he brought joy? Where is he stepping in, even to the hard places, to the places of pain in your life? I've got the joy, 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 joy down. down in my heart I've got the joy joy, joy, joy down in my heart down in my heart and I'm so happy so
elements in your hands and consider for a moment what it means that joy that Jesus stepped in to your brokenness to your grief your pain your sin your failure and that he endured the cross for the joy on the other side take a moment On the night before Jesus died, he broke the bread and he held it before his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And he said, I, I won't drink this again till I drink it with you in the kingdom. That's why we proclaim the good news of Jesus until he returns every time we drink. Because he's coming back to make all things new. So drink in remembrance of him. And now, in light of that hope, in light 
of what Jesus has done to change everything. Let's stand and sing about joy. King Jesus, thank you that you stepped into our world, into our pain and brokenness, and endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy that was before you, that is a people redeemed. So Lord, I pray that as we anticipate and await Christmas morning, when we celebrate your birth, that we'll also be reminded that we anticipate a day when all things will be made new. And in the midst of whatever we're walking through, that we will find deep and abiding joy in you. We love you, and we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mose, thanks for worshiping with us tonight. Hey, I just got a couple things I want to tell you about really quickly. Um, if you would like somebody to join you in prayer, we invite you uh, to go to the section in the back. We'd love to pray with you. If you're new, we want to meet you. And I have, before you run, one quick announcement I want to tell you about. We told you a few weeks ago about some transitions in the worship team. And when I was in high school... I came to Fellowship Saturday night for the first time and sat under Russell Dorch's worship leadership, and uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And so when we knew that we needed some leadership uh, in a new spot, we called Russ up and said, hey, would you be willing to come lead our worship team in this next season? And he said he'd be delighted to. So we are really excited. It's not going to be Nick Rowland worship. Yeah, it is exciting. It's worth cheering about. We're pretty stoked. So... Russ is going to be coming back and leading us in worship, and we are really, really excited about that. You'll be hearing more about him and from him soon. We love you guys. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. Go enjoy to love and serve the Lord. And we said...